Episode 240, George A. Milton, retired U.S. Army colonel and America's failure coach. Right. They don't make it okay to revel in failure, but they do make it okay. They make it safe to fail. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes, but what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth, and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. To learn more about George, his podcast, his books, and more, look for links in the show notes, or go to markraven.com slash mistake240. Well, hi, welcome back to My Favorite Mistake. I'm Mark Raven. I'm really excited that our guest today is George A. Milton, America's Failure Coach. So with that label, you know he's in the right place here to talk about mistakes and failures. George is CEO of uh, his consultant company called Failure is Not the Problem, LLC. His company specializes in leadership development and training, life coaching, and motivational speaking. George is a retired U.S. Army colonel with over 30 years of experience as an internationally known coach and speaker. So before I tell you a little bit more about George, welcome to the podcast. And and also, thank you for your service. We're recording this on uh, Veterans Day, at least the uh, the Friday recognition. So again, thank you. Uh, Thank you also for being here. Mark, thank you so much for the opportunity. It is absolutely apropos, man. And uh, I just want to say, um, uh, what an honor it is to be here with you today. Thank you for having me on the show. And also for all those uh, who have uh, veterans who have served and all of those who are currently serving uh, across uh, the spectrum in terms of our military services, thank uh, goes out to those uh, uh, those folks who are wearing the uniform and their family members and, and all of those folks who are out there keeping our nation safe. So, Mark, thank you so much for having us on today. Yes, thank you, George. And thank you for extending um, to thanks uh, the thanks to um, all veterans out there on this day. And we want, we want to remember them uh, every day. But yes, um, to tell you a little bit more about, um, again, our guest, George A. Milton. Uh, this is from his bio. I, I'm going to let him share, I think, some of the detail as we talk here. But um, I think this is important, as George phrases it, that he had some academic failures uh, early in life, but yet went on to earn multiple degrees and he was inducted into the U.S. Army Officer Candidate School Hall of Fame. So I think we can talk about some of the resiliency and, and persistence and, and bounce back there. Um, George is the host of a podcast that I was really happy to discover a couple of months ago. It's called Failure is Not the Problem. Uh, just about an hour ago, um, George was kind enough to have me as a guest on his podcast and <laughs> Uh, we're going to continue the conversation here today. So I encourage you to check out Failure is Not the Problem. And George is the author of, uh, of books titled Failure is Not the Problem. Uh, they have two different subtitles, the two books in this series. Uh, it's the beginning of your success. And then the second Failure is Not the Problem book, It's Your Leadership. Um, so, George, I'm, I'm really excited that we have so much to talk about here today. Um, I'm glad we've gotten connected, but we always start off with uh, a key question here. Looking back at, at your career and your work, what would you say is your favorite mistake? 
<laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I got a whole bunch of them, man. That's for sure. <laughs> but if I had to uh, synthesize this and say uh, uh, any particular one, it, it would definitely have to be not understanding the importance uh, role that failure actually plays in not only my life, but the lives of those that I've been uh, responsible for and responsible to. Uh, throughout my entire life, uh, golly, I mean, there's just so much uh, that actually went on from the standpoint uh, of, uh, and, and, you know, most folks can't pinpoint necessarily, uh, you know, the first time of failing, but I certainly can. And that was in kindergarten. That's where it all started for me. And, uh, and I didn't understand the importance. All I understood was, you know, uh, the negative connotations that that uh, experience actually had from how I was actually taught, you know, early on in life. So failing kindergarten, failing uh, you know, uh, elementary school, the first grade, almost every grade thereafter, and, you know, dropped out of six colleges and universities. You mentioned something about, uh, you know, multiple degrees, but long before I ever had a degree, I, I dropped and failed out of six colleges and universities, and that's how I actually ended up in the Army. Uh, but uh, I, I tell you, it's uh, understanding how powerful uh, uh, that one word is in terms of positively understanding if you change your mindset to look at failure from the standpoint of the greatest resource on the planet, Mark, man, there were, you know, tons of things that you can actually accomplish. And that's kind of, uh, that would have been my, uh, you know, favorite mistake, not understanding uh, the resounding mm. power that failure played. Yeah. And, and I want to, I think there's a lot we can dig into if I, if I may, you know, yes. um, about how you, you, you've come to, see the importance of failure. Um, I'm going to have to ask, I mean, like when, when it came to, to colleges, I mean, what, what, what do you attribute the failures to of failing out of different colleges? There's different reasons why that could happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Two, uh, uh, two issues. One was that I just didn't have a good foundation educationally, uh, starting out. Um, Education wasn't that big of a deal growing up in East Rural Texas town, a little small town community there, great folks. But work ethic was incredibly important. So, you know, uh, my folks, uh, both are, you know, unwed teens, um, uh, uh, no formal education and that sort of thing. So school wasn't that uh, that big of a deal. So, you know, getting a job, I thought I'd be a professional football player. So, unfortunately, you know, that didn't work out as well as I thought. When I got to college on a football scholarship, man. I jumped ahead a little bit, but uh, everybody's wanted to be a professional football Player, but but going back to failure uh, in kindergarten. I mean, that was it. That was a key indicator right there. Uh, you're in the first grade, and almost every grade thereafter. I, Mark, you know, almost not even graduated from high school. I actually had to take a correspondence course. Couldn't even spell correspondence, but I had to take a correspondence course. To actually, graduate from high school. Now, a couple of problems with this situation is that um, uh, the correspondence course was from Stephen F. Austin State University in Nacogdoches, Texas. I hadn't even read a book. You know, I didn't read my first book until I was in the ninth grade. And the only and the reason, only reason I read that book is the teacher calls me over and she said, look, have you read your reading assignment? I said, no, I had not. And she brings me over and she said, look, here, I'm going to show you a couple of words. And she opened the page of that book and she pointed to two words. And the two words were this, George Milton. And I'm like, what? I'm in a book? What, what is this about? And the title of the book was Of Mice and Men by John Steinbeck. Classic. That was the first book I ever read. So not having a good foundational education. Uh, you know, I got to, you know, you know college and, and, and failed and ended up in, in the military. So that was uh, one issue. The other issue is the stress that the failure 
brought on, right? It was just one of these situations where, you know, I worried uh, uh, tons and tons and tons. And just, just as an example, is any time I would go in to take an exam, I focused more on whether or not I was going to pass or fail, right? I knew the information, but because of the overwhelming you know, oppressiveness in terms of that one word and, you know, worrying about whether or not I was going to pass it, I couldn't, I couldn't think. So here's how I got beyond that. Uh, is I literally had this, uh, you know, athletes are very superstitious people, even though they call themselves Christians. I don't know how that matches up, but that's kind of who we are, man. And I remember just this mantra, uh, and, and I don't know how, but I just thought that I got to figure something out because I cannot focus. I cannot think. And I said this, I used to say this before I would take an exam. I don't know what I said. I know what I know and I don't know no more. I know what I know and I don't know no more. And when I said that I would go in, I would sit down and I freed myself from worrying about failure, Mark. I know that sounds kind of crazy, right? But when I freed myself to be able to fail, I started passing <laughs> the exams because I realized that I can study all of this information. And if the information that I studied matched up with the information that the professors put on the exam, then I'm going to be okay. So I taught myself not to even worry about that. So I taught myself, don't worry about the failure. If I failed, then therefore I've learned how to study even more. And maybe so those two things, you know, not having a good foundation uh, educationally uh, early on in life and throughout my life, and then just freeing myself to be able to uh, accept failure and embrace it and learn from it. Mm. And when he ended up in the army, which seemed to then create, help create a lot of great opportunities for you. Yes, yes. Um, what, what did you, I know you had some key mentors in, in, in the army. What, what yeah. you, tell, tell, tell us about what you started learning about failure and, and responding to failure in yeah. the context of the army. Excellent. Excellent. I like the way you bring that up because this is one of my favorite stories. Look, <clears throat> Excuse me. So I come into the army not knowing anything about it. Didn't come from a military family. In fact, my mother says, look, please do not join the army. They're going to get you killed. They're going to get my baby killed. No, you can't join the army, right? I mean, I ran away from the army, you know, recruiters when I was in high school. I was called a cat dude. Just didn't want anything to do with it. But I ended up in the army because of all that failure that I mentioned a moment ago. And when I got into um, uh, uh, the military, there was a major significant event that happened now, I grew up East Rural, Texas, a little place called Jacksonville, Texas. And I hunted, I fished almost every single day on all the weekends, so I could fire a weapon system. Well, I get to, uh, you know, basic training, and guess what? You have to fire a weapon. So I go to the, the weapons qualification range, and uh, in the Army, we call it we bolo-ing. Bolo-ing means you fail. So not only did I fail the range once, I failed it twice. So I go back to the barracks that night, and uh, I'm moping around, got my, my lip in the dirt, and uh, my platoon sergeant, so Sergeant First Class George Gaither, comes over and he says, look, Private, what's your problem here? And, uh, you know, I'm explaining to him about all this failure, and uh, he says, look, you've got to get your head out your full point of contact, boy, because that's not how that works around here. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, oh, he says, when it comes to failing, son, and it wasn't one of these, oh, my dear son, it was one of these, look. Here is how this is going to work. And he says that it's not the failure that you need to be focusing on, right? It's the response. He says, so failure is not the problem. It's how you respond to your failures or your challenges that are out there. And when he said that, Mark, it, I mean, it's like the light came on, right? 
And it revolutionized my thought processes. And every single time from that day then to this day forward, anytime I failed, I always remember. This is 40 years ago. I remember what George Gaither said to me on that day. And it really, you know, propelled me to, to the trajectory that I am now and all the success that I have. Because anytime I would go out and I would have a failure, I would immediately say, okay, what am I going to learn from this? Okay, do I need to shift gears or change what I'm doing right now? Or what did I do wrong? Or what did I not do right? And how do I get better? Long before then, earlier in my life, I would have become very depressed. I wouldn't have been able to function, right? I just worried about all kinds of things that had nothing to do with anything. So that that one experience with that soldier taught wow. me everything I needed to know about that single word. Wow. And I'm going to repeat that because I've, I've heard you say it in your podcast and our discussions. Failure is not the issue. The issue is how you respond. And I think the same could That's be correct. said about mistakes. We all make mistakes. Mm -hmm. Mistakes can lead to failure or there could be failure caused by other factors. The issue is how you respond. I mean, that's, that's powerful. And I mean, would you, would you say that, that mentor, that coaching you received, was, was that as much as you could generalize kind of a common mindset within the U.S. Army? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and in fact, because of that experience, I came up with this, this formula, right? And it is simply this, F plus RR equals S. That's failure plus right response equals success. I mean, it's really that simple, right? When you, when you have a failure or a mistake, if it's not really about the mistake or the failure, it's how you respond to that. And therefore, if you can move beyond that and get from where you are to where it's supposed to be, that is absolutely success. And what I love about the foundational way in which the military does things, the military not only not punishes us for failing, it also sets us up uh, sometimes to where we can't fail, no matter, I mean, where we can't succeed no matter what. They put us in positions where they want to see how we're going to respond to failure. And that's, that's throughout the, the military in general and specifically when it comes to the Army. The Army wants to know oftentimes that how is a soldier going to perform when they find themselves under pressure? That is incredibly important, especially for those who go on to become leaders. And the more leadership you have, the more people you have underneath you, the more responsibility you get. It's, it's important to understand how you're going to learn because one thing – a couple of things is going to happen. One is that you're going to learn, you know, how you deal with pressure and how you deal with stress and how you deal with, you know, shortcomings or mistakes and failure. You know, the second piece of that is going to actually show your leadership, you know, how you respond. So uh, the last unit I commanded, that unit actually had a commander. But my boss, the two star at the time, wasn't comfortable with the, uh, the soldier's leadership style because they're going to be in heavy combat, which had actually took place. And uh, he was looking for someone to go in command. And I said, look here, sir, I'll, I'll take it, man. And he was like, what, you're going to go off staff? Absolutely. Because I was already well-versed. That was like my third time being act you know, in actual, uh, actual combat and that sort of thing, Mark. So the military uh, really focused on making sure that they knew what our strengths and weaknesses were. Because the decisions that we often make, uh, whether it's a mistake or failure, sometimes it costs people their lives. And we really, really try to figure out how to make sure that, I mean, and you can't always do this 100%, but you can certainly tell, you know, when you're under pressure and the, the way in which the military coaches, mentors, and trains us, you know, you know, given certain situations, you can, you can pretty much tell whether or not that person is a good fit to be in a command position or a leadership mm -hmm. position. So, yes, they do uh, throughout the system. So, so what I hear you saying, George, um, is 
they'll use training and developmental opportunities, if you will, um, safe places to fail as a way to prepare somebody to not fail in combat? Yeah, look, the military makes it okay to fail, right? They don't make it okay to revel in failure, but they do make it okay to fail, right? They make it safe to fail. I mean, and, and you know, there are training development kinds of programs that we have in place. And, you know, there are organizations that if they could actually get up to speed on this. And, you know, here's what I love about uh, that sort of leadership style. It, it allows for us to be creative. It allows for us to take risk without being, you know, brutally punished. Because people are not perfect. People are going to naturally make mistakes. You know, but I, I can tell you personally, and most of those that I've ever served with, is that when folks make decisions, Mark, they make them with the right intentions. Very seldom do they, you know, intentionally go out to try to not make the right decision. So they make the, the, the right decisions based upon the information, based upon the experiences, based upon the missions that we actually had. So the military, you know, they, they tried to instill those sorts of principles uh, you know, within our, our framework and our leadership mindset. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've had guests talk about this, and I've tried to summarize this in, in my book. Is you know, a mistake is discovered after the facts. <laughs> yes, like you're saying, George. At the time, we think we're making the right decision. Now, it could be based on uh, an assumption, mm-hmm. and we learn minutes, hours, years later that assumption was incorrect, and then we mm-hmm. say, "Oh, that was a mistake." Yeah. Um. That ha- you know, it, it like it, it, and that's where I think the idea of punishing um, a you know a, a bad decision, punishing human error, like mm-hmm. just ends up being so counterproductive. You know, as you use this phrase, you know, um, you know, brutal punishment. Like how how does that help? So let, let me try to uh, try to phrase this as as a question. I'm making a mistake of not. Asking it as a question, like, well, let, let me ask it this way: like, in in your experience, how how can be how can oh, I'm really making mistakes? How can that punishment be <laughs> counterproductive? Because I've heard leaders, and I'm sure you've heard leaders say, like, well, we have to punish mistakes, otherwise, it's just giving permission to make more mistakes. How I mean, how how would you respond yeah, to a leader? Yeah, who, yeah who, that, that that never works, sir. I mean, look, you're already setting them setting them up for quote unquote failure. Because, look, when you make it okay and safe to fail, then people, as I said a moment ago, they just think outside the box. They know exactly – they know that if their leadership is going to give them the freedom to be human, to give them the freedom to be able to lead in the way in which they've been you know, coached. You know, a lot of people talk about this uh, uh, imposter syndrome. For me, that's something that I just don't understand, right? Now, I understand it intellectually, but not practically, because even though – uh, I could never, ever be perfect in any setting. The military trains us, those leaders, to command our units in such a way that even though we may not know every single thing that's going on in that unit, I am well prepared to go and take over any unit because that's kind of how the structure is. And I've seen it to where uh, folks have gotten people uh, injured because they were fearful of making the wrong decision based upon the oppressive leadership that we actually had given that structure, right? So if you want people to thrive and survive and do the kind of things, make it okay to, you know, to fail, they're not penalized. And what, you know, what's really ironic about it is that most of those folks who are given the freedom to fail, very seldom fail. That's the beauty of it all, especially in, in our line of work, because when we're 
allowed to execute the missions in the way in which we, I mean, strategy is so important to us, right? So we will pull together our, you know, our big, what we call big brain thinkers, and we come up with a strategy. And failure is one of those things that we know that it's, you know, uh, you know, possible, but we don't focus on that. I mean, we just don't. And and when we do, then we go back and we have something called an AAR, an after action review. And in that after action review, what we do is we realize, we, we talk about, well, what could we have done better? And even doing those after action reviews, they're not, uh, uh, you know, the type of settings whereby we're punished or we are, or talked down to, or called names. You know, it's in those settings where we really, really learn how to move. Okay, so we know what we did well. What, how can we make this better? So in that sort of setting, in that sort of mindset, we very seldom do we go into a situation where we're worried about, oh, the after-action review. It, that was very seldom the case. Now, I say very seldom because there were those folks who utilized that as punitive. And in those organizations, they just didn't thrive. The soldiers didn't do very well. And I can tell you that, uh, you know, a lot of problems in those units also. So uh, I always led in such a way in which I was taught. And that was to, uh, you know, give 110 percent, do the best you can, make the best decision you have, given the resources you got. And always be very, very gracious when it comes to people failing, because they didn't do that intentionally most of the time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, and as it's just so fascinating to hear that comparison as you, as you're describing it, like it seems, it, it seems, I think some of it bears repeating because I think it sounds counterintuitive to people that I'm going to paraphrase it back to you. And and I just, I want to hear it from you again. Um, Given the freedom to fail, people were less likely to fail. Yes, absolutely. Because now, Mind-blowing. It, it does. Well, I mean, right, because now we become more creative, right? We become uh, in situations where we're more, I mean, we're willing to take a risk. And it's not a risk from the standpoint of jeopardizing somebody's lives. But if I have this oppressive state of mind where I think, well, you know what, if I don't get this right, then I'm going to be punished for it. So even though that may be the right decision, I choose not to do it because I don't know what's going to happen. You know, we typically, folks like that will choose you know, the safe routes and those kinds of things. And most of the times in which I was successful is when I was actually thinking outside the box because war, just like success, it's not linear. It's just not. And you have to figure out, you know, given where you are oftentimes, that if you want to make sure that your people are doing everything that they possibly can to become successful, give them the freedom to be more creative. And giving them that freedom means giving them the freedom to fail. Yeah. And, you know, I, I have no military experience personally and there, you you know, you, there's, uh, there's clearly some mistaken perceptions from movies, media, popular culture. Like you, you don't, I don't, I don't think people associate the military with creativity. We associate the military with do what you're told and follow orders oh, no. and, and, and getting barked at if you fail. Oh man, that's not, that's all a mis- yeah, that's a big mistake, sir. That That's all Hollywood, baby. That's all Hollywood, yeah. man. That's yeah. not how this works. Look, some of the greatest leaders uh, our country has ever known. Uh, you ever heard of the Artie Murphy, old Texas boy oh, out in West right. Texas? Yes. yes. Right. I mean, that's a great example right there. Battlefield Commission, all these kinds of things. I mean, he wasn't someone 
that um, uh, uh, folks would uh, necessarily know unless they know his history or they're from Texas. But even way back in the day, it's always been one of these situations where, look, when, when folks are yelled at and barked at, uh, th- that's not because they're being picked on most of the time. It's because sometimes in order to be able to make things happen, that's what needs to take place. Let me give you a story here. So I have this um, uh, this troop that I, um, uh, a family member, as a matter of fact. So he was uh, uh, deployed to Fallujah and uh, in Iraq. And uh, he was telling me a story about how, uh, man, the, the military has gotten to the point where it's so soft and I can't even lead my folks in the way in which I need to. He says, I remember when I was a private, right? And we went from Fallujah, went down to Baghdad. He says, we got in this complex attack. We were firing, they were firing. And he says that I was well-trained, well-trained. He said that, but uh, he was moving across the street to move to a different position and the enemy was firing on him. And he says, he just froze, just froze. And he didn't know what to do. And he said, the next thing he heard right, was his staff sergeant, section sergeant, says, hey, private, you better get your over across that street. And he says, muscle memory. And it just clicked in and he moved out, executed, and took care of the mission. So that is a form of discipline that most folks would see as abusive. That is something that saved that kid's life, right? Uh, right. And most of the times uh, when we're in combat, that's not how that that's not how that works. So there are different ways that um, uh, that folks are motivated. I mean, you know, when when the kinds of motivations that the military gives us is oftentimes no different than coaching, because you if you look, I played football. And I can tell you, you know, on the football field, very similarly, you know, coaches do the same kinds of things because they want to make sure that you're motivated and that sort of thing. So it's a different way of, of responding and acting. But uh, the way in which, um, uh, you know, the movies portray us as these folks who are not thinkers, brother, let me tell you, I I come into the army with no degrees, right? Because of the education that I have and I got in the military, I have four degrees, two masters, 17 hours toward a doctorate, right? That came from my military educational level. Who can take a good old country boy from East Texas? not knowing much of anything, bring him on, educate him to where he's briefing parliament, to where he's briefing ambassadors monthly on different types of things that are going on. So those are the kinds of people. Now, remember, private, very uneducated. So I can tell you, I have been to, what, 25 schools at the military. And that's not those degrees I mentioned a moment ago. 25 different schools that the military said I had to go to. That's how skilled we are educationally. And that's what we imbue within the confines of those that we lead. We Education is incredibly important within the confines yeah. of our construct. Well, and we're better off for that. And um, it, it seems, it's fascinating to me. I don't read a lot of books about um, the military, military leadership, military history. One book I did read that was very, very popular is a business book, uh, General Stanley McChrystal and his book, Team yeah. of Teams. Yeah which was incredibly eye-opening to me about continued evolution of, um, you know, uh, realizing that you, you, you can't, I'm going to paraphrase it and correct me if I'm doing it badly, but like if the, if the old command and control model said, well, the, the big thinkers, the generals, the strategic thinkers will come up with a perfect plan and everyone barks orders down the chain and everyone just follows those orders equals victory. As opposed to, I remember one thing um, General McChrystal was writing about, of you know, talking about commander's intent 
and talking about you know the purpose and what we're trying to accomplish, but then granting autonomy within certain training and parameters to figure out how to achieve the mission. I, 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 yes. I, is is that is that an okay paraphrasing? Yes, right. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I mean, you you can give people all kinds of orders that you want, but at the end of the day, number one, the enemy gets a vote. So any plan that you come up with only lasts until first contact. Right? Right. right. So we have to have people who are in those foxholes, you know, even our privates, right? All the way down from the Pentagon, general officers, all the way down to the foxhole and anything in between. We have to have folks who are thinkers, not just folks who are doers. There needs to be the doer part, but we have folks that we literally, I had privates running shops for me that staff sergeants and sergeant first classes should have been running, but they had other missions. So I, I could take privates because they were trained so well and because we taught them to actually think. So it's okay to have a strategic plan because you need those. It's okay to make sure that, uh, you know, the leaders understand what the mission is, but it's even more important to make sure that those folks who are going to be, you know, doing those missions understand what the concept is and what the end states are and how to actually accomplish that. So we have to have folks who are, I mean, who are absolutely thinkers there. And I can tell you, um, one of the reasons I was able to go to the Army War College where I received my second master's degree is because I had my first master's degree. So I, I could I proved that, look, I have the capacity and the brain power to be able to think strategically and to be able to accomplish a very, very di- difficult educational program there. So, uh, yes, you know, General McChrystal, I actually went out and I did some some work on him for General Mattis, actually, doing the, uh, the plus-up of those soldiers out in Afghanistan. Yeah, so brilliant, brilliant, uh, brilliant warrior. And uh, most of those folks who are of his particular mindset, they require that we are hard thinkers. General Mattis, tremendous, tremendous Marine. And let me tell you, I uh, asked him a question one time when I was at Joint Forces Command. You know, there was a rumor that was going around that uh, he didn't own uh, television. And, you know, I, I'm always trying to learn. And I asked a question, you know, and I said, sir, is it true that you don't own a television? And he looks at me and he's like, well, look, anything that's been done is being done or will be done has already been done. And you find that in books. Right. So our soldiers, right, our general officers and those high speed leaders, they have what they call a reading list. And if you're really serious about learning who we are and what we do, uh, most of those of us, you know, we understand that, look, you got to read these books. So we are folks who are well-read. Well, I can tell you right now, during my day, <laughs> we're folks who are well-read and that sort of thing, because uh, history is incredibly important. And the longer you stay in the military, uh, it becomes even more so. I feel like I made a mistake where I could have teed up your thoughts much more efficiently by just asking, what do you think of the book Team of Teams by General <laughs> No, no, you do well. You do well. You're like, why, why am I? Uh, yeah, I don't need to be uh, civilian explaining something about the military. <laughs> <laughs> you did, you did well, brother. Let me tell you, but we're, okay. hey, we're a team. We're a team. Right. Some people are understanding what you're saying. Some are understanding what I'm saying. Hopefully, by the time you and I are done, they're all going to be understanding everything we're saying. <laughs> well, thank you for um, allowing me to fail graciously. As you're being. <laughs> Um, I got you. But six, I want to ask. Uh, oh, thanks. I wanted to ask. Um, speaking of generals, and the first episode that I listened to of, of your podcast, and, and again, that podcast was called "Failure Is Not the Problem." Um, you interviewed uh, General Welton Chase, 
And I, 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 I'm going to go listen to that episode again. Like everything the two of you were saying, for me being not military, not army, um, was just so powerful. Could, could you give a few highlights of um, your your discussion with uh, General Chase? Yeah, look, General Chase is a, I mean, just a, just tremendous leader. I mean, tremendous, tremendous, tremendous leader. And um, uh, you know, he's working with Cisco now and doing some some great stuff. And, uh, you know, in talking to uh, General Chase, uh, I mean, it was, it, for me anyway, I mean, I, you know, I worked with him when I was in, in um, uh, European Command. And uh, he was just one of those leaders that, uh, uh, I mean, you gravitated toward him because he was one of the most gracious leaders that I'd ever have actually served with. And he is one of those uh, servant leaders, right? So <clears throat> if you want to learn a good lesson from a great leader, you need to follow and listen to that particular podcast and listen to some of the lessons that General uh, Chase is talking about because he's talking about the importance of leadership, right? But he's really talking about how, you know, uh, to be a gracious leader and those uh, who are someone who's in support. Uh, oftentimes we think of our general officers and we think about those folks being just those hard-nosed kinds of people. And and, and man, I tell you, uh, the vast majority of those, those uh, guys and gals and ladies and gentlemen, uh, when they get to that particular level, uh, they are some of the most gracious people uh, on, on the planet. So in talking to, uh, to General Chase, what comes uh, loud and, and, and clear is that uh, when it comes to leading people, when it comes to uh, making mistakes, when it comes to having you know, plans uh, that are in place, uh, it's all about being uh, a gracious leader in those positions of leadership and authority because we are given the honor of, uh, look, those of us who have been to war know this, is that um, uh, most people on this planet will never, ever be in a position whereby they decide who's going to live and die on any given day. And leaders, I mean, at not only general officer levels, but even at some of the lower levels in terms of squad leaders, right, platoon sergeants, uh, first sergeants, those kinds of things, on any given day, they can decide on who goes on a particular mission and may not ever make it back. So that's why it's important to be able to have the types of leaders in place that General Chase is referring to, uh, Mark, doing that uh, that podcast. Hmm. I'll put a link to that episode in the show notes. It was uh, it was powerful. So oh, thank you. Hope others thank will you. listen to that. Um, so George, um, in, in your your book and as as you talk, um, I want to ask you about the three things you say leaders need to do. The word gracious and graciously has already come up. So I'm going to just run down the three and I want to ask you about each of them. First off, fail graciously. Secondly, get comfortable with your failures. And third, learn from your failures. What, what does it mean to you to fail graciously? How can we do a better job of that? Yeah, yeah look, the first person that you have to give grace to is yourself, right? So you're not perfect, even though people, you know, think that you are and say that you are. So not only uh, does one need to remember that there are certain talents, skills, skills, and abilities that one actually has. And if you make a decision and that decision turns out well, then good on you. That's great. That's fantastic. But the thing is, is if it does not turn out well, then don't beat yourself up so much. Okay? If you made the right decision based upon the resources that you had, based upon the mission as you understood it, and it didn't turn out well, then be okay with failing. Be okay with not getting it right necessarily the first time, especially if you don't get anybody injured and that sort of thing. The second issue is you need to have be grace, 
uh, graceful and gracious to those who serve because in the same way that you're making the decisions, the best ones you could, so are they. It is the exception of anybody that actually goes out and tries to sabotage a mission, that sort of thing. So when you have leaders that are out there, whether it's in the military or not, and their folks are not accomplishing the goals, maybe you need to look in the mirror also. Maybe it's all about the training by which they've received. So if they've not gotten the right information, communicate, communicate it to them in the right sorts of ways, then perhaps one needs to take a look at self first. And then if you have taken a good look at self and you did give the information out and they did not perform as well as you thought, give grace anyway. Because there's, there's going to come a day in which you're going to be in a situation trying to make a decision. It's not going to turn out real well. And when you do that sort of thing, Mark, you empower people, right, to pass that on, right? And when you do that sort of thing, it strengthens the team as opposed to, you know, brutalizing the team, sir. And when you talk about not beating yourself up, that seems to be part of the second point of getting comfortable with failures to be able to then, point three, learn from them. But I I want to have you kind of, you know, repeat or elaborate on how the idea of being comfortable, getting comfortable with failures doesn't mean that we welcome them or that we take them, um, that we're flippant about failure. I know, I know that's not what you're saying. No, 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 no. It's okay to welcome failure because it's a part of life. You know, someone says that failure is not an option. Failure is always an option because failure is a part of the construct. Right. I'm still having trouble. Coming to terms with that, clearly, the way I framed that question. Sorry to interrupt. Right? <laughs> no, it's I mean, okay. It doesn't mean that we have to be happy about our failures, no. or I don't know. Maybe I'm still not getting it, right? No, no. So, 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 so it, it's – well, let me ask this crazy question here. It depends on the failure, right? So why can't we be happy with our failures, right? I think it's, it, it, it depends because there's been failures that I thought, God, Lee, man, I'm glad that I realized that um, uh, I shouldn't have taken that path. And if I hadn't have failed, then I would have ended up in a very bad place, right? So I was given a mission one time that was a suicide mission. And had I not actually spoken up, then we would have gotten a lot of people killed. And because I did not take that mission on, some thought it was failure. They absolutely thought it was failure, right? But I went back to the boss and says, hey, boss, here's what would have taken place. And he said, I don't believe that. I said, well, let me give you the mission like you gave it to me. And I gave it to him. And he says, you know what? I'm glad you convinced me not to take that mission because now I see your point. He said, I didn't think about it like that. And I said, well, you're in a position of leadership and authority to whereby you don't have to think about it like that. We have to think about it like that because we understand the battlefield. We understand. The first, look, dude, I've been shot at, uh, you know, blown. I mean, just crazy stuff that I've not even talked a lot about, right? But it's, it, it's okay. And you need to get comfortable with understanding that failure, right? If you take anyone who has been successful, I I promise you, if you talk to them, just because they don't revel in their failures doesn't mean they're not happy that they have failed because they learned in the process. You go back to, um, we talked earlier about uh, Steve Jobs, right? When Steve Jobs initially got fired from the company that he created, he came back 12 years later, created you know, product brands. Now he goes on and he talks about had he not been fired. He says he was happy he was fired because in the process of being fired, it forced him or motivated him to think differently. And in thinking differently, right, he came up with a lot of different types of projects. Now you don't think he was happy that he failed? Absolutely, sir. He even mentions that. Well, and um, 
I'm going to jump in for the listener who might be confused. Um, we, you talked about Steve Jobs uh, in in the episode of your podcast that I was on. Oh, that's <laughs> that's right. So that's if people heard that. that episode already, then yeah, they're, they're they're with you. And I and if they haven't listened to that episode, I will put a link to that in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think we figured out who which which episode is going to be released first. We'll we'll figure that out. Well, we'll 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 figure that out. Um, but 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 Mark, to your point, I, I do. I get I get excited. I mean, I'm excited yeah. when I when I fail because I'm very comfortable now. There was a time when I wasn't comfortable with my failing, right? And when I wasn't when I wasn't comfortable, man, I, I, I felt stigmatized, right? I felt like all of the stigma. I felt like people are going to be, you know, they're not going to think I have any value. They're going to think I'm stupid. They're going to think I'm dumb. They don't. They're going to think I'm not worth much. I mean, they're just not. So I worried about that. So I couldn't even function properly. But when I got to a point to where I embraced my failure, I was happy about that. When I got to a point to where I learned from my failure, I was happy about that. When I got to a point to where I could teach other people how to become successful through their failures, I'm excited about that. So that's really Mm -hmm. what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being happy and okay with the failures. Yeah. Well, and I think that's where you and I share a lot of mindset around this because you had asked me when I was guest on on your episode about some tips. And one thing I I shared about was I I think I have a relatively high willingness to admit mistakes. And and I think that that leads to (laughs) acceptance and removing stigma and normalizing. I made a mistake. So let's, let's admit it. But then I think part of one thing I, I know I'm, I'm very happy about is the improvement. Like I, I am yes. much happier about looking forward. Well, moving forward by kind of looking back, like, well, why did that make us, why did that mistake occur? What can we do to prevent a repeat of that mistake? Like I feel better about that probably yeah. than I feel bad about the mistake. And if I don't, if I don't have an opportunity to learn and improve, all that I've got left is being able to look backward and to continue feeling bad about the mistake. I think well, well said. Here's what came to mind when you said that. You know, there's and everybody, you know, has heard this name, you know, Simon Sinek, you know, you know, the the why guru. So and, and and I understand that, right? But here's what I do when it comes to failure, it's not about why. Most people know why they do stuff. I mean, they just kind of do, right? For me, when it comes to failure, it's about now what? Right? So don't worry about why you failed. Okay, so mm. you failed. I love this. You know, in the uh, one of the episodes of The Lion King, you know, uh, Simba has gone out and he's run away from home and he's thought that, you know, he's responsible for Mufasa's death and that sort of thing. And he's just like, you know, Akuna Matata out there with his boys hanging out. And Rafiki is like, dude, we got to get this guy back home because he is the, you know, rightful king. So he goes out and he says, you know what? The spirits are saying that Simba's alive. So he goes and he finds him. And he finds him. He says, Simba, you need to come home. And what does Simba do? He talks about all the failures, all the stuff that was in the past. Rafiki takes his club and he hits him side the head and he says, ouch, that hurt. And Rafiki <laughs> says, don't worry about it. It's in the past, right? If you've had a mistake <laughs> or a failure, right, it's in the past. You can yeah. learn from that, but don't right. dwell on that sort of thing because well, it's really it, about ex- the future. Exactly. And yeah, I mean, and, and I think some of it, it's, it's very situational. You know, I do a lot of work in healthcare. If there's a mistake or a failure um, you know, if the wrong medication is given to a patient, that is absolutely something we, you know, we, we do want to understand why and how that occurred, not who did it, but right, like right. looking forward of like, let's learn from it. Um, let's prevent it from happening. And, and when people don't feel safe to admit that they almost made a mistake, yeah, yeah. 
then we certainly, we don't learn from it. And then it gets repeated in a way that does create harm. And, and that's some of the sad lost opportunity in healthcare. Yeah. 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 Look, whether it's the why or the what now, uh, you know, what gets us in trouble is denial, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that, that's really a big part of this. And oftentimes folks who, uh, you know, fail, they get into the denial piece and they don't want to, to accept and embrace, and they don't want to accept and embrace because of the stigma that's associated with it. And oftentimes they don't they want to accept the responsibility for it is because they know what's going to happen because the, that company, that leader, those folks who are responsible for them have a history of punishing them and punishing folks that they've actually seen. So we condition folks to respond in the way in which we don't want them to respond. Whereas if we allowed for them to, you know, feel safe when they failed, then, you know, the, you know, I think that in my view and in my case, in my experiences, anytime I made it okay and safe to fail, as long as they were learning, folks owned up and took hundred percent responsibility for the decisions they made. Yes. Well, George, um, one other question I want to ask before we wrap up here. And um, I think when it comes to learning, you know, comfort learning. You talk a lot about um, how failing can be fun. Mm. And I think it's fair to say when we're having fun, we learn more. So I'm curious your thoughts on on how those ideas are connected, fun and learning when it comes to failure. Yeah, yeah. Look, <clears throat> I guess for me, I took failure so seriously most of my life <laughs> as opposed to, you know, making it fun. But it's incredibly important to to learn how to laugh when you when you don't accomplish something. I, I think there's you know laughter is one of those things that just makes us feel good about ourselves, right? And uh, I mean, there's been times in which um, uh, I literally um, uh, you know had some some failures that I thought were very very serious, and in the large scheme of things, they weren't very serious at all. And it, it's okay to laugh itself. It, it's really not uh when you go out and you, and you fail right and, and it's we we've been conditioned to um to look at it in the wrong sorts of ways you know you take kids i mean if we really look at failure failure doesn't even really exist i mean it really and truly doesn't if you take children right kids uh and all of us we've done this we go out and we try to accomplish a task or something and if we accomplish that task mark what do we do we just kind of move on to something else right if we go out and we try to accomplish that task and we don't accomplish it and people start calling us failures, or you, that's when failure enters our thinking and our mindsets. Up until such time, it just absolutely doesn't. So oftentimes when you've gone out and you didn't know how to ride that bike, and I remember several times laughing because I'd fallen off the bike or I didn't, right? And I, I know I didn't accomplish it, but I never thought about it being a failure. I just thought about, oh, man. I need to get better at this and laugh. And what I did is eventually learned how to ride the bike instead of giving up. So if you allow yourself to laugh and to learn, oftentimes that propels you to continue to trying, right? When you make it fun, as opposed to if you're going to be punished or stigmatized or made fun of, you just kind of give up and don't try mm-hmm. anymore. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think you also highlight the difference between the act of failing, failing to achieve a goal does not mean you are a failure. Oh, absolutely not. No, absolutely not. You know, Such you're a, a failure. Yeah. Yeah. Look, and, and that's really about mindset. If, if you think that you are a perfect person, you are destined to fail. 
<laughs> it'll, it'll, it'll prove you wrong every single time. And we're really good at labeling people. I mean, we're just so good at labeling people. Interesting is that um, uh, uh, if, you, if you take the game of football, the biggest game of the year is the Super Bowl. We all know because we've been conditioned to accept one winner. Mm. Right? Yeah. And right. when the Super Bowl winners win, we focus on the guys who won. But we don't call the other team failures. You ever notice that? Yeah. We don't call them failures. We just focus on those who have actually won. And those who did not accomplish the goal of winning the Super Bowls are congratulatory to the team that actually won. Because they yeah. know next year they're going to get another opportunity, aren't they? So the coaches oh. on those teams who did not accomplish that task, they don't call themselves failures. They said it's got to get better next time. They didn't do the kinds of things that they needed to do this time. If we can do that on one of the largest, you know, platforms on the planet, why can't we do it in our everyday life with folks that we're responsible for and folks that yeah. we lead and those yeah. folks that lead us? Well, there's a lot to learn from from sports, and, and clearly there's a lot to learn uh, from the U.S. Army and some of the the, the leadership mindsets um, that, mm-hmm. that that you've learned and that you've um, thankfully been willing to share with us here today. And as you continue to share in your books and in, in your podcast, George, I want to thank you for that. Oh, Mark, thank you so much. Look, this has been fun, right? I mean, we made some mistakes along the way, but it was all fun, right? <laughs> That's really the point of making failure fun. I mean, most folks, and, and you've said this, and I subscribe to this also, neither one of our podcasts are polished. It is what it is. You know, what happens, it's live, it's real. You know, a lot of dogs or something barking in the rear. Okay, we got that. But as far right. as content, well, I mean, we try to be real with folks. And we want people out listening to you and I having this conversation about mistakes and failure. It's to remember, I mean, you're human at the end of the day, right? Yeah. You, you are not someone uh, who uh, will live a perfect life. And when things don't turn out the way that you want, it's okay. You're going to be fine as long as you're willing to understand that this is part of life. This is part of growth. This is a part of who you are. Remember, guys, it, it's not what happens to you. It's how you respond to it. So when you fail or you make a mistake, the response to that determines your success or not. That's so well said. We're going to just leave it there, I think. So George A. Milton, our guest today, the podcast, his books, his company failure is not the problem. Uh, George, is, I'm, I'm so happy that we could have two conversations here this afternoon <laughs> on too. your show and mine. And um, I really look forward to continuing this conversation with you. This, this has been great. Thanks, Mark. I welcome uh, the, uh, the opportunity to work with you in the future. And thank you so much for being gracious enough to have me on your show. It's been an honor, a pleasure, and a lot of fun. Thank you. The honor is fine. Thank you. Well, again, thanks to George A. Milton. To learn more about George, for links to his podcast, his books, his website, and more, look in the show notes or go to markgraven.com slash mistake240. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work. And they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.